Now it came to pass, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am. Behold now, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob her son. Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself, and not a blessing. Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, get them for me. And he went and got them, and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise. Sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father. And he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy, like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son Esau? I am. Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's game, so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him. Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. Now it happened, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. 
He also had made savory food and brought it to his father. Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. Who are you? I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly. Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Bless me, me also, O oh my father. Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass, when you become restless, that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Genesis chapter 27 is the well-known story of Jacob and his brother Esau, how he cheated him out of his father's blessing. He had already cheated him out of his birthright, and now the blessing as well. Isaac is said to think he was dying. He didn't die here. He lived many more years. In fact, he lived decades beyond this experience, but he wasn't feeling well this particular day, and his vision was poor, and he thought he was dying. It was time to depart. Call in the eldest son, and I'll lay hands on him and pronounce a blessing upon him. Well, Rebecca, the mother of these two boys, Esau and Jacob, they were twins, had heard a word from God telling her that the elder son would serve the younger. And so she's going to help God out in this story. Maybe fear got a hold of her. Oh no, before it's too late, God wants him to be the leader of the home. Let's set it up where we can deceive Isaac into giving his younger son the blessing. And so she pulled him in and she pulled rank on her son. These are grown men. She tells Jacob, now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go to the flock and kill a couple of animals, bring him in and I'll fix them and your dad won't know the difference between them and the wild game that he's asked your big brother Esau to prepare for him. And Jacob at first protested. He said, perhaps my father will feel me and shall discover me trying to deceive him, and I'll bring a curse on myself rather than a blessing. And his mother, Rebecca, she's aggressive. She said, let, his cur let your curse be upon me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get these animals for me. And she took some of her older son's clothes and put them on Jacob while she prepared the savory dishes that her husband loved. 
She took the skins from the goats. They were two goats that were killed. And put her son's hands into the skins. Wrapped them in hairy skins. Esau was the hairy brother. Jacob was a smooth-skinned brothers. They were twins, but not identical twins. And go in and deceive your father. And so he went in with the food and he said to Isaac, my father. And Isaac's waiting on Esau and he says, who are you, my son? And so being deceptive, he said a big lie. He says, uh, I am Esau, your firstborn. There's two lies right there. He's not Esau and he's not the firstborn. I have done just as you told me. There's another lie. He didn't tell him to do what he did. His mama did. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game. This was not wild game. This was domestic goat meat. That your soul may bless me. So they're trying to deceive his father with his appetite and with his feelings and um, with his sense of smell because he's wearing Esau's clothes. And this is how bad it got. He brought God into the picture. Isaac said to him, how is it that you went hunting and got the wild game and fixed it and you're already here? And Jacob said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. He's taking the Lord's name in vain here. And Isaac's still not sold on this lie. He says, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really Esau or not. The two boys felt different. So he went near and he felt the hairiness. And Isaac said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And so he didn't recognize him. And so he blessed him. He pronounced a blessing upon him, having been deceived. And he still wasn't convinced. He said, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob lied again. Here's multiple lies to get a blessing. Saints, God wants to bless us, but we don't have to sin to get his blessing. He said, I am your son Esau. He said, bring the meat near to me, and I will eat of the game, and my soul will bless you. So he brought him the food. He ate. He brought him wine, and he drank. And then his father said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his clothing, which, of course, smelled like Esau. He was a man of the outdoors. And he said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let the people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who blessed you. And as soon as this was over, the dishes were cleared up, Jacob had gone back to whatever he was doing, Esau shows up with his savory dish. And Isaac says, who are you? And he says, I'm your firstborn. I'm Esau. I'm here with what you asked me to do. I'm here to be blessed. Isaac began to tremble. And he said, he said, 
your brother came before you. I ate, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. Esau heard the words of his father. He cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Oh, he was so angry. And said to his father, bless me. Bless me also, O my father. And Isaac said to Esau, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Jacob means trickster or tripper, supplanter. When they were born, um, Esau came out of Rebekah's womb first, and then here comes Jacob with his hand on Esau's ankle. Competitive, wanting to, wanting to beat him to the punch, even as a newborn. He said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright for a bowl of soup. And now look, he's taken away my blessing. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac told Esau, I made him your master, and I can't go back on my word. Esau, have you only one blessing for me, my father? Can't you bless me? And he lifted his voice and wept. And so Isaac tried. He said, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless, that you will break his yoke from your neck. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Help us to glean from this story the lessons that we need for our lives that are relevant to our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject, Receiving God's Promises. Have you ever bought roses for a sweetheart and they weren't fully bloomed? Have you ever been tempted to take a rosebud and to open it up before it's time? It doesn't work. You make a mess of things. It's like trying to eat a green apple. Here's a rose that's bloomed but not fully bloomed so we could help it out. Help it spread its petals out. At first it looks like it's working. And then I wind up making a mess. And ruining it. This is what happened in today's story. Jacob was destined to be blessed. He was destined to be the leader of the family. God had predicted it when the boys were born. But because of impatience, he messed things up for himself. We're talking today on receiving God's promises. If we're going to receive God's promises, we need to be sure that our God ideas are not just our own good ideas. you got to make sure that in your excitement over God's promises that you don't get ahead of him. But you stay in step with him. You walk in the steps of Jesus. He was called to come and be the Savior of the world, and yet he waited till he was 30 before he began his public ministry. He told his mother, my time has not yet come. 
And his mother said, man, they need some wine at this wedding. And he sprang into action into public ministry by performing his first recorded miracle. So Mary's good idea turned out to be a God idea. So we need to make sure our ideas are from God. You remember the story of Peter, James, and John? They're on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And Jesus is transfigured before them. He stands there glowing and appearing with him is Elijah the prophet and Moses. It was an amazing experience. And when it was over, Peter had a good idea. He said, let's build three tabernacles. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was about to start a new religion. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, listen to him. Peter's good idea was not a God idea. We need to make sure that in our quest to see God's will done in the earth and in our nation, that we don't heap to ourselves teachers and prophets that tickle our itching ears, that tell us what we want to hear when it may not be what God is saying. This is my son, listen to him. Don't listen to Peter, listen to Jesus. So we need to be sure our God ideas are not just our good ideas. All things being possible does not always mean they are probable. In the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. There's faith. And all things are possible if you can believe. But it does not mean that everything we think of is going to happen. That's why we have to return to the book. That's why we have to keep a grip on the anchor and not forget the importance of integrity. In this story today, Rebecca got fearful got excited and became a conniving manipulator, showing Jacob how it's done. When God makes a promise, though, when it is from him, you can take it to the bank. He is not lying. When God makes a promise, he is not lying. He's not a man or the son of man that he should lie. He tells the truth. We just need to make sure the promise that God made is for us. We used to sing a, a song in church growing up. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. I can feel it on the line divine. Every promise in the book is mine. We love the song, but it's not true. There are some promises in this book that are not for us. There are some promises in this book or for the devil. Now, we reap the benefit of the fulfillment of those promises, but there's some promises in those books that are for a unique time and purpose. There was a promise given to the disciples to go to such and such a place and you'll get a free donkey. If you just take that promise and claim it for yourself and go somewhere and get somebody's donkey, you're going to wind up in jail for horse thieving or donkey thieving. You want to make sure the promise that you believe God has given you is for you and it's not just something you made up or you got excited about and it wasn't from the Lord for you. Outside of our observing God's preconditions for his promises, he does not have a need for our help. Now many of his promises that he gives us have a precondition. An example, he gave a promise to the nation of Israel in the dedication of Solomon's temple. 
He said, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and leave their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So God, hearing, our pray- hearing their prayers from heaven and forgiving their sins and healing their land was based on the precondition of them humbling themselves and turning from their wicked ways. If, you, if they didn't do that, then they were not a recipient of that promise. And if you read the Old Testament very far beyond that, it wasn't long till the people persisted in their disobedience and they did not experience the fulfillment of that verse, that promise in their lifetime because they did not meet the preconditions. But beyond the preconditions for a promise, God does not need our help. He does not need our manipulation. He does not need our sin. He does not need a lack of integrity. He does not need us to do things in the power of the flesh to help him out. It creates a mess. Remember, Abraham and Isaac got tired of waiting on God for a promised child, so they recruited an Egyptian servant girl to become a surrogate mama and bring Ishmael into the world. That wasn't a precondition. That wasn't what God promised. That was their good idea that was not a God idea. I think you got the point. God's ends do not always justify our means. Sometimes we think because it's for a good cause, we'll do what we can to make it come to pass. There was a televangelist years ago that got busted for wearing an earpiece in his ear that wirelessly connected to a sound room where an employee of a ministry was reading off people's prayer requests. Here's how it went down. He would rent a coliseum or an auditorium and advertise a healing meeting. When people arrived, they registered to attend the meeting and they wrote their prayer requests down. I have you know, a broken toe, or I have scabies or herpes or some other physical deal. And so while he is preaching in the Spirit, in the name of Christ, he says, is there someone here named Billy Bob or someone here named Pam Anderson or some, somebody's name? Is your address such and such? A person would stand, he would tell them their address. It was stunning to watch him perform. And he says, the Lord told me that you have this physical ailment. You're healed right now in the name of Jesus. Lay hands on him right now. And so he was doing this all over the country, making quite a living doing this. And when he got busted, he said, well, it was for a good cause. He defended himself rather than saying I was wicked, I lack integrity. No, he said it was for a good cause. In his mind, the ends of people coming to Jesus justify the means of being deceptive. That's not God's way. That's carnality. That is sinful. That is wicked. That does not lead people to Jesus. That leads people away from Jesus. My final introductory point is God's will is ultimately going to be fulfilled. Ultimately, Jacob is going to become a great patriarch of his family. But we must remember we can make things difficult for ourselves more difficult than they have to be. Now, 
in seeing God's promises fulfilled in our life, there's going to be difficulties. Jesus said it. In the world, you'll have tribulation. These things I say to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I overcome the world. So there's going to be difficulty. But we can make it worse if we try to help him out and open the bloom before it's time. We make a mess of things, which is what happened in this story. The truth of consequences. There used to be a game called Truth or Consequences, a TV show. There's actually a town in New Mexico named after it. Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. But today we're talking about the truth of consequences. There are consequences for a lack of integrity. We're polluting our own drinking water when we do things like this. Jacob, as a result of this story, had to flee for his life from his own brother. He never saw his mother again. Yep, this mama gonna help her boy come out on top, her favorite son, never got to see him again. In fact, in fact, we don't hear from her again in the scriptures from her directly until Genesis 49. It talks about where she was buried in Machpelah. This is it for her in terms of biblical revelation. He was estranged from his brother who fathered a nation of enemies. The Edomites became enemies to the Israelites because of this story. Jacob had to work 14 years for the wife he wanted because he got a deceptive father-in-law. He actually wound up working for him for over 20 years away from the land of promise, away from his home that was promised him. 20 years. That's the truth of consequences. You don't want to rush God. And he himself was deceived several times during his life Ten of his sons deceived him incredibly so by believing his favorite son. It's not good to have favorite kids, parents. His favorite son, Joseph, had been eaten by a wild animal. He believed it for years. Why? He was deceived by his own children. He brought deception into his lineage. Now, Joseph's another one that had a great promise. But he walked in integrity. He faced difficulties, yes. But he succeeded and lived with minimal disappointment after his family was restored. Became the prime minister of Egypt. The full fulfillment of God's promises with, with less difficulties. There were difficulties, but not like Jacob went through. Receiving God's promises always requires faith and patience. Hebrews 6.11 says that we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We inherit God's promises through faith, and patience. Faith, believing in spite of the circumstances, having hope in spite of what it looks like, and patience, the endurance that pays off. When Abraham was finally a hundred years old, he gets blessed 
with the promised son, Isaac. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe he is and that he is rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Can you say faith? It's important to have faith. Otherwise, you're not going to inherit the promises. It takes faith and patience. James, the brother of Jesus, said, My brethren, count it all joy. Chapter 1 of his letter. Count it all joy. Be happy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Rebecca didn't want to have the patience that it would take for her son to inherit the promise. She thought he was about to get ripped off. Um, she thought God needed her help because of impatience and fear and the lack of faith. James 1 goes on to say, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So doubters become outers. They do not inherit the promises because of doubt. And because of doubt, Fear will get a hold of us. Impatience will have its reign in us. But with faith, we will have patience and will become complete, lacking nothing. And when we need wisdom, Lord, you give me this promise. I don't see it happening. Help me out here. Ask God for wisdom. Ask him for wisdom. If Rebecca had prayed and asked for wisdom, she had heard from God before, maybe things would have been different for Jacob. So receiving God's promises always requires faith, patience, and obedience. There are preconditions. There are obedience. If you've received a prophetic word, remember that word. Hold to that word. If it's from God, it will come to pass. But ask yourself, were there any preconditions about this? An example. If you're called to be a missionary to the Inuit Indians up in far north Alaska, and it hasn't happened yet. I would say a precondition of that is uh, getting some warm clothes, getting ready for that, but also studying the Inuit language. Take advantage. If you're called to be a missionary to France, start taking French lessons. Prepare yourself for what God has called you to do. That would be obedience. James chapter 2 says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If you have faith, and it's real faith, it's going to produce obedience. If you have faith in the laws of Texas, that they're there for your safety, you're not going to be running red lights and, 
and driving the wrong way down one-way streets. And if you're intoxicated, you're not going to get behind the wheel. Why? You have faith in the laws of Texas. It produces obedience. Otherwise, you may think you have faith, but you don't. In terms of God's promises, our faith isn't in our faith. Our faith is in the God who made those promises to us. And if he made them through patience and obedience, we will see the fulfillment of them. So those are the things that receiving God's promises always require. Faith, patience, and obedience. There are three things that receiving God's promises never require. To receive God's promises, you will never be required to be fearful. It never requires being fearful, and it never requires being unloving. Well, I'm just going to do the will of God. Forget this being a man of peace. Forget this being a gentleman. Forget this being a representative of Christ. I'm going to apprehend God's promises. The Bible says the violent take it by force. You're taking that scripture out of context. It never requires for us to be fearful or unloving if we're going to receive God's promises. 1 John 4.18 says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love we love him because he first loved us. So we receive the love of God and we return his love back to him that he's given us. But if we're fearful, there's an indicator that we do not realize just how much God loves us. Rebecca did not know just how much God loved her son Jacob. If she had knew that, fear wouldn't have gotten a hold of her. The opposite of fear isn't faith. The opposite of fear is love. If you love someone, fear will not keep you from doing everything in your power to protect them. And so, fear and love are polar opposites. Being fearful and unloving are Two sides of the same coin. They work together. And they're not a way to receive God's promises. Verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? You say you love God, but you don't love your brother Esau, Jacob? You, don't you know this would hurt him and hurt your father, yet you say you love God? You don't. God's invisible. And if you can't love his representatives, people made in his image who are visible, how can you love him who is not visible? That's being unloving. That's not a way to receive God's promises. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love suffers long and is kind. There's love and endurance, patience. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I feel like I'm talking to somebody 
right now in real time whenever you're watching this. Maybe you've not been long-suffering. Maybe you've been unkind. Maybe you've been tempted to be envious. Maybe you want to make sure you're not overlooked. Look at what I've done. Maybe you've succumbed to becoming a rude person. Maybe you've been preoccupied with your own agenda. Maybe you've been easily provoked. Maybe you've been quick to think people have no uh, good intentions for you. You're thinking evil of them. Maybe when someone's caught in their sin, you're kind of happy about it. Better for you that they get out of the way so you can be a success in your life. If that's the case, the lack of love. Put your name wherever the word love is or love is implied and read this again. And to the degree that it sounds ridiculous, that locates you where you are spiritually. Do you suffer long? Are you kind? Do you envy? Do you parade yourself? Are you puffed up? Are there times you're rude? Do you seek your own way? Are you easily provoked? Are you quick to think evil of others? Do you rejoice in someone's iniquity? Or do you rejoice in truth? Are you able to bear all things and endure things? Do you believe all things, hope things? Or are you afraid of failing? I'm telling you right now, you can take this to the bank. This is a promise from God. Those three words in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. If you're committed to living a life of love, I'm not just talking about the romantic stars in your eyes love because when you feel it, it's wonderful. But when you don't feel it, are you still walking in love? You will promise you will never fail. You don't have to stay awake at night fretting, worrying about your state or when God's promises in your life, when is your calling going to be fulfilled? If you're walking in love, hell itself cannot keep God's will from being done in your life. Receiving God's promises never require our being fearful or being unloving or being unlike Jesus. We're coming down the home stretch today. He is our example. Like Jacob, he was the second Adam. Jacob was the second born. Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus has promised leadership, and Jesus didn't manipulate or cheat or lie or steal to see God's will done in his life. No, he was cheated on, lied on, stolen from, slandered, tortured, and killed to keep him from fulfilling God's promises in his life. If you take this rose and you absolutely crush it, there's no hope of it ever coming back. But Christ came back like a beautiful rose that had never been crushed with scars to prove the battle that he'd come through. He fulfilled Isaiah 53. Listen to these few verses. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He didn't lie. He could have called, one song says, he could have called legions of angels to come and set him free. But he didn't do it. Why? It was the will of his father that he die for the sins of the world, that he allow these ultimate sins to be committed against him. 
that he would become our substitute, our sacrifice, so that we could go free and be born again. Isaiah 53 continues, verse 9. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. His tomb was a rich man's tomb. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Unlike Jacob, Christ was pure. He was sinless. He didn't yield to the temptation to take a shortcut, to do God's will his way. He didn't succumb to the temptation to let his integrity go for the sake of his comfort. Verse 12, therefore, here's his reward. God says, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Because he did these things for us, he's being given a portion with the great. He's the ultimate of the world's heroes. And he receives a spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul, his life, unto death. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that we would learn lessons from this story, that we would not be like Jacob or Esau, but we would be like Jacob's descendants the Messiah, the seed that has blessed the world, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would enable us to walk in your truth, to be people of faith and patience and obedience, and to be quick to repent when we recognize fear is taking over and we're not being loving or Christ-like. In Jesus' name. Amen. You're looking at a man that got ahead of God in his life many times. I never really ran from the Lord, but I tried to do his will my way and got ahead of him many times. And it always led to disappointment and heartbreak. But our Lord is sovereign. He uses such things to teach us lessons, to make us the men of God he wants us to be. And I challenge you today, if you're ahead of God, to just slow down, take an inventory, and ask him what is next. Stay in step with him. And amazing things are going to happen for you and your family. His promises are for more than us personally, but they're for the sake of the furtherance of the gospel and the expansion of his kingdom and the blessing through our families, our households, and our congregations. May the Lord himself bless you and keep you. May the Lord God Almighty cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord God Almighty lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. The peace that passes understanding. The peace that comes from the word of Christ that dwells in us richly. The peace that's based on his conquest, his finished works, and not our human efforts. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Go get them, tigers.